Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, boys? Hey, fellas. Good to see you guys. Hey, boys. Good to be back. Yeah. Benji, you're out in Oregon. I am. It's uh, out where I grew up playing Portland Golf Club. Place uh, I basically learned to play for my grandpa. Just sweet to be back with my parents. Um, have our little man crew with us. Other kids are off doing camps and stuff. So uh, fun to be back in Oregon. Weber, uh, you're out at Travelers this week. Got to feel good to be hitting balls again. And Yeah. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks and no balls. So, I mean, it's, it's a good thing. I had no expectations today, right? Like, I'm just – is great perspective shift for me. I'm just happy to be without pain. I'm happy to be being able to swing and play golf. So today was like a really fun nine hole practice round just to be out there. Uh, so great to be here. Love this place. This was my second professional start. I started at Memphis and then this, I came to travelers and so my first travelers was 08. So it's been a good, good time here. 15 year anniversary. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, this is always a nice place to come, I feel like, especially after a U.S. Open, because you go from brutally hard golf course trying to make pars to a course that yields a lot of birdies. So still tricky, still got some great, you know, it gets firm here. It, if the wind blows, like it still can play tough, but for the most part, there's a lot of short short clubs into the greens. True or false, Travelers is a place where you play a practice round, you're like, I think I'm going to shoot 65 every day. And then you get to the tournament and you kind of like feel your way around. You're like, ah, 69 would be an incredible score today. <laughs> so true. Yeah. You get a couple of those pins, three from the left, three from the right. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. Well, boys, I want to hear you guys react to the U S open. Great finish. What'd y'all think? What were your biggest takeaways from LACC? Man. I mean, Wyndham, you know, I told Dowd, uh, watching the U.S. Open the other night, I said, I was sitting next to Wyndham Clark at Bay Hill, like at Sushi one night. You know, he was he was there eating with a friend. And I'm like, if I had told him then, hey, in the next two and a half months, you're going to win a U.S. Open and an elevated event, like, what would you think about that? And it's just crazy how quick you can get on a nice run, and now he's ranked, whatever, 13th in the world. Um but he, I felt like he played like he's been there mm-hmm. 10 times before. Hit some awesome shots coming down the stretch. Um, I thought his chipping was unbelievable. And, you know, it's, it's tough to finish any golf tournament, let alone a major. So good for him. I was really happy to see it for him. Ben, did you get to watch it or were you like hiking through some evergreens? <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch it on the airplane and I just felt like uh, I agree with Webb. He played. Like he's won seven of those things and, and he just had, not only did he have, uh, you know, he's got a nice game. Everyone knows he's long. He puts it nice. He just plays really well. Uh, his caddy Ellis is um, one of Joel Stock's best friends. And so I've known him for a while and um, they're, they're just really close. He's been kind of the unsung hero and in, in a lot of this, just being the assistant coach and, walking a lot of the holes with him over the college years and um, Wyndham's been through a lot. And so I was just thankful, proud of him. Thought it was just great golf. I felt felt like he won the golf tournament. Um, and, um, and he, you know, 
withstood the, the all the Ricky chants, you know, as much as I would have also loved Ricky to win. Um, you know, it, it was not a hometown event um, for, for Wyndham. So I thought he was just an incredible competitor and, and um, it was just impressive. Scotty Scheffler was also very impressive to me. He plays below par golf for him and he still finishes high. What would he finish third? Third. Yeah. yeah. Enough, enough for me to get y'all to donate money to the charity of my cause. Yeah. And, and, and so Scotty Scheffler, my friend told me a stat, Mark Pierce yesterday told me 63 people. He played 14 events, 63 people. I beat him this year, 63 and 14 events. That's not very many. <laughs> like, All right, Ben, real quick. I'm going to do the math on that. So average of 144 players times how many events? 16. He played 14 events. He's 14 played. events. So he's played against 2016 players roughly. And he's only lost to 63. It's just mind-boggling. That's Tiger Woods type stuff, boys. So Hey, I had the best time. So my son came in for the final few holes. James, he's 12. And I said, James, Scotty was about his tee shot on 17. I said, James, watch his right foot. He's like, okay. And he, he swung and James was like, oh my gosh, what, what happened to it? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, he's the best player in the world. And like, that's his footwork, which is so cool. It's so cool to me. Like there's no one way to swing or chip or putt. And I don't it's think anybody's wild. had that kind of footwork since Bubba Watson, Ben, do you? Well, the way what Scotty's actually doing is we call them ground reaction forces. And he's actually putting forces into the ground the right way. And he's just put doing so much of it that as his feet launch into the air, he's just put all the correct forces into the ground. And then because he's done so much of it, he launches airborne and <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. He twists his trail foot clockwise, you know, into the ground and pushes hard off of it and, and then put, takes his lead foot and, you know, pushes the ground away from him. So his foot is launching backwards, both of which is what you're supposed to do to, you know, rotate your pelvis more. I mean, and, and, and at a high speed. So it's just awesome. And yeah, I agree. It is awesome. There's just not one way to move the club. And it's fun to see all the different body types and patterns that, that work. There's not, not yeah. very many things the top players in the world have in common. Uh, fascinating stat that our buddy Jace just sent me. The last six years, Wyndham Clark has won $2.7 million on the golf course. The last six weeks, 7.6. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Jace Barber, great stat. I mean, great stat. One of, I call him Coach Haasisms. My golf coach at Wake Forest, he had some great Coach Haas sayings, so we call him the, the Haasisms. One of them was, he said, Webb, Right when I turned pro, he goes, remember this, you'll make 90% of your money in golf 10% of the time. And he's right. Like you get, you get on these little runs and there's, you know, Wyndham's last couple of months have been unbelievable. Mm -hmm. No doubt. All right. Well, walking down those last few holes, y'all both have won. I guess you've won a combined 12 PJ tour events. Uh, 13, if you count an unofficial one that been won also what's it like trying to close out a golf tournament? Like emotionally, mentally, what's going through your mind when you're in Wyndham Clark's position? I feel, I, I've, I felt like as much stress and pressure as, as I've felt. I mean, um, you know, it, it's, each one is different, but 
I remember like when at farmers and I just felt like time, I mean, your heart rate is just lives elevated. Um, and I just felt like, man, this is, it's exhausting, um, to me. And it's just such a difficult thing. And then to just to, just to, you know, focus in and execute and then let the shot be, try not to think about golf, you know, and you want it so bad. You want to make the ball go there, but you can't, you have to just run your process and get into, you know, get into the moment and do the best you can and then make a correction and then move on. You know, it's just like this little dance that you do, but it's, it's obviously with an elevated heart rate and it's just a very, very difficult thing. And not many people do it better than Webb Simpson. And that's how he's been able to win the U S open and some other incredible events. Well, what was it like for you trying to close out the U S open? Um, yeah, the, I love what Ben said. Like everyone's different because like every tournament is different, you know, like I'm going to be more nervous probably depending on the golf course. Like if the last few holes are hard or trouble, whereas other golf tournaments trying to close, like you're a lot more comfortable. Cause like, for example, Vegas one year, I had a few shot lead with uh, three to go. There's water on every hole, but like 17, you can just make sure you don't hit it in the water and 18. You can make sure you don't hit it left off the tee. So it wasn't that stressful. Whereas other venues where you're more uncomfortable, it's more stressful to win. So, um, you know, at Olympic club, like sawgrass would be one of the most stressful with, because you always have 17 and 18 looming kind of over anything can happen. Anything can happen, especially 17 because the green's an Island surrounded by water. Whereas 18 is a really hard hole, but you could just dink it right. And, you know, hope you make bogey, but, um, Final day at Olympic Club, I knew I was in contention. I'm a scoreboard watcher now. I wasn't then, so I didn't really know, but I figured I was right there, either one up or tied. And um, I remember on 17, um, I was standing in the fairway, par five. We were waiting to hit our second shot. And I'm very nervous, but it's one of those moments where I'm really confident. And so it's like, it feels good, but it's, it's also nerve wracking and you, you want to be there, but it's also like excited to get done. And, uh, we're waiting to hit. And I said, Polly, you know, I was just trying to give myself perspective here. Uh, big moment as a professional golfer. And I said, buddy, you realize if we win today, even if we win like four or five more of these majors, like at the end of our life, it really won't matter that much. And I'm like, buddy, we've already won. Like our faith is secure in Christ. Like we are secure for eternity. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to like t- shift my perspective at that moment. And Polly, Polly's a believer at the time. He goes, yep, buddy, I fully agree. But let's get back to focusing on golf. we got 211 front. we got 229 hole. <laughs> That's great. I remember, I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. I remember when we were in a playoff together at the RSM. And I remember – going back to the 18th tee and I remember looking at you and just with huge smiles on our faces. And I just look at you and I threw my arms up in the air and I go, we've already won. That's right. Because we're, we're like, we know the end of the story because of our That's right. faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm like, and we're together. Like we've already won. Like, yes. it's like we're totally, pl- we're totally playing on house money right now. So fun. That is so great. You had a little um, more fun than me, but I had fun too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll never forget watching that. All right, boys. Well, before we do picks, I get to tell y'all where to send some money. So 
It's been a been a little while since we've designated some cheddar for a charity. But I'm going to go with uh, the Sovereign Grace Pastors College in Ethiopia. So the oh, denomination wow. that I'm a part of, uh, some buddies of mine planted a church in uh, the capital of Ethiopia, and they're just training up and sending out pastors to plant churches all over Africa and the Middle East. So um, cool. They're doing great work, and they've got world-class theologians coming in to teach them. So very cool thing, the Ethiopian Sovereign Grace Pastors College. That's great. It might, I mean, is it going to cost us more to, to put in the mail than the actual donation? <laughs> Maybe. You're, you're going to have to use your donor advised fund and send it digitally. That's right. All right. Um, perfect. All right, boys. Well, picks for this week. Who we got at Travelers? We'll let Weber go first since uh, he had to go last last time. All right. I'll go with Matt Fitzpatrick. Okay. Nice pick. I think, you know, you got to, this is a 20 under plus week. So my mentality is great putter. He fills it up. Go ahead, go ahead, William. I'm looking at the field here. I'm going. It's a smart move based on the mistakes you've made in the past. Um, I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood. Okay, Mister Sixty Three. Back to back good weeks for him. I like it. Um, I'm going to go with Joel Damon this week. Hello. Okay. Let's go, Jolie. Good for him. Nice pick. All right, boys. Well, let's uh, turn our attention now to the Bible. Um, I'm very excited about this week. It's probably the most important week we've done so far on the podcast, just based on the content that we're going to cover. We're in our fourth week of asking, why did Jesus die? And as we've established already, his entire life had been moving to this point of his death. This is the reason why he came. And so in week one, we saw that he didn't just die. He was killed. And in week two, we saw that he wasn't just killed. He was laying down his life. And then last week, we saw that Jesus wasn't simply laying down his life. He was fulfilling scripture. All that was happening was according to plan. And this week, as we peel back another layer of the onion, we're going to see that Jesus was not simply fulfilling scripture. He was taking our place. On that cross, he was bearing the punishment that we deserve. Uh, And we saw this hinted at at the very end of our episode last week in those famous verses from Isaiah 53 that say that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so in some way, the death of Jesus was for our transgressions. It was for our iniquities. It was for our sin. He was taking our place. And so we're going to see today how that works. And we're going to start in Matthew 26, 36 to 46. So, Ben, if you'll pray for our time, and then Weber, if you could read the word for us. We need help help from the Lord to understand it. Lord God, thanks for your care. Um, Lord, you've given us breath and life. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, the most right thing we can do is praise you and honor you and um, think of you and just... Um, Lord, look into your word. So, um, Lord, help us to see it for what it is, Lord, um, that you really have solved our biggest problem and you really have um, substituted yourself for us on that cross. So, Lord, Mm -hmm. help us. We love you. We need you. Ask you Mm -hmm. bless this time in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ben. All right, here we go. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with 
them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came back to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest on later. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Okay. Thank you, Weber. Um, let's, let's start by just getting our feet on the ground. So when and where are we picking up? When is this and where is this? This is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified. Yes, exactly. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Remember when the band of soldiers comes in and captures him? This is just before the band of soldiers comes. Okay. And we see Jesus begin to, to pray and he's got his kind of inner circle of disciples and he goes to pray. And what are we told about how he's doing in verse 37? He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Okay. He began to be sorrowful and troubled and how, how sorrowful and how troubled according to verse 38. My story. Yeah. To the point of death. Yes, exactly. He says it himself. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And we know from Luke's gospel that it's not just mental or emotional. There's a, a physical reality to this too. Listen to how Luke describes it in Luke twenty two forty four. He says, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So putting all that together, how is Jesus doing in this moment the night before his death? Mm-hmm. He, he knows what's before him and he is, I've actually researched the, the blood um, coming through your pores and it's when people are in the most stressful situations, they can actually start bleeding out of their forehead and, um, because they're literally just taking on so much stress. It's a, it's a medical thing known in the medical community. And it, he, he's, he's to the point of he almost can't even bear the physical um, weight of what he knows is about to happen to him. Mm. Totally. So overwhelmed, so stressed that, that he finds himself in that condition you're talking about, Ben. Um, it's very serious stuff, but it, it seems out of character, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not that, I mean, Jesus has been in stressful situations before he's had opponents before. And whenever he's in a stressful situation up until this point in the gospels, how does he seem to handle it? I mean, breezes through it and just, you know, rebukes him or slips away or, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing that. You're right. He's been in the most stressful situations ever that we would have ever been in, but this doesn't even, you know, he's kind of by himself. 
you wouldn't think he would be experiencing this kind of stress, but what the, he, the, he knows the next thing that's going to happen. Yes. And I think this really, it reveals the human side of him mm. maybe more so than any other place in scripture. Just mm-hmm. like he, he became like us and he was like us in many ways. We were like him, however you want to say it. But this, I like, I can so identify with this idea of like, I mean, it just seems terrible. Yeah. What he was so, thinking. And, and another thought too, Willie, Ben is, I've never thought about it much until now. Like the physical, like if you're about to go through something physically painful, I can't imagine like the physical pain, if you take the emotional, spiritual out of it, but when you add in your physical plus the idea of like, or you throw a relationship in there and suffering, like do you combine that? I, I couldn't imagine. Right. Totally. And, and we know that there's certainly his physical death is looming. Mm-hmm. But we also need to like take the hint, like it's got to be more than that. Mm-hmm. Because think about other guys in the Bible who face death. Some of them face it very courageously, mm-hmm. right? Like think about Stephen in Acts chapter seven. You remember the first martyr? Yep. And just before he's stoned, either you guys remember how he's reacting right there at the end of Acts chapter seven? He's saying, don't count these sins against them as yeah. he's being stoned and clobbered to death. Yes. And he's like very much at peace. He's very courageous in the face of death, fearless. Right. Yeah. But we see something altogether different in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen different people like Philip all throughout church history who have faced death courageously, whether they've been burned at the stake or whether they've been eaten by lions or whatever. There's been people who've just had courage in the face of death. But here Jesus is and he's sweating drops of blood. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So we've got to ask, what in the world is going on? Mm-hmm. There has the next, to be more here. Yeah. And the next verse, obviously, is going to tell us. Yep. And so pick up right there, Ben. You nailed it. Verse 39. Yeah. And so, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Okay. So he falls mm. down. There you see his agony again, and he prays this prayer. And this is the first time of how many times that he prays this prayer? Two times. Two more times. Yeah. So he prays it three total times. Um, my father, take this cup from me. And the key to understanding what's going on with Jesus Christ is found in this little word, cup. Mm-hmm. It's it's Old Testament language, and it communicates something really clearly. So let me just show you this in a couple of places. Um, Weber, you flip over to Psalm 75, 7 yep. and 8. Psalm 75, 7 and 8. Ben, you go to Isaiah 51, 17. And then I'm going to read Jer- Jeremiah 25, 15 and 16. So right. Weber, read Psalm 75, 7 and 8. And let's see if we can figure out what this term cup means. So real quick to the listener, if you're trying to understand the Bible, one of the best ways to understand the Bible is to let scripture interpret scripture. And so that's what we're going to do right now. So Weber, Psalm 75, 7 and 8. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. 
Okay. And Ben, Isaiah 51, 17. Wow. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk of the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Okay. And then Jeremiah 25, 15 and 16 says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, take from my hand, this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. Mm -hmm. So if we put these together and we just ask, what do you think is meant by the term cup? What do you see? The full wrath wrath of God aimed at Jesus Christ. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. We're talking about the wrath of God Mm -hmm. stored up since the beginning of the world against sin and wrongdoing and evil. Mm -hmm. Jesus is talking about the execution of God's judgment. Mm -hmm. And so when he says, take this cup from me, he's saying, Father, I don't want to face your wrath. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to why Jesus is there facing our wrath, let's just deal with this concept of God's wrath. So a lot of people in 2023 hear wrath of God and they think, no way, I don't want to believe in God like that. Um, when we're talking about God's wrath, what are we talking about? I mean, I can't even imagine how to describe God's wrath, but his hatred for sin is the only way I would know how to describe it. I'd love to hear what, you know, what it means. Yeah. And I would say it's, it's his, it's the, it's the just and right penalty for sin. Yeah. It's perfectly just uh, because he's holy, he's perfect. And it's the requirement uh, for our sin. Yeah. Good. Here's this above my pay grade. So I've got J.I. Packer quote in here. And here's what Packer says. He says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, irritable, morally ennoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary response to objective moral evil. Mm. All God's indignation is righteous. Would a God who did not react adversely to evil in this world be morally perfect? Surely not. But it is precisely this adverse reaction, which is a necessary part of moral perfection that the Bible has in view when it speaks of God's wrath. Mm. So let's just think about this for a second. Packer says that God's wrath is his right and necessary response to objective moral evil. Yeah. So can you think of a human example where, give me an example, Weber. Yeah. So like if, if a man comes out and shoots an innocent person, like the, the, the man should have a penalty of going to jail or the death penalty, whatever it is in that area. Like if he just got to go free, no justice and the sin would have had no payment for it. Yep. Good. Yeah, if, if you or I see evil happening in front of our faces and we do nothing about it, that shows there's a problem with us morally, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like if a, a lovely old lady's walking across the street in downtown Franklin and some punk punches her in the face and rips her purse away, 
and I just watch it and laugh. What does that say about me? Yeah. You have no, you have no category for justice or evil. Exactly. And it actually fall into the evil category to allow that. Right. Right. Um, And so here God is, and there is evil in his work, in his world. Um, and, And God is put in a very difficult situation here. Okay. And why is God in a difficult situation? Well, if he punishes all of sin, as he rightfully should do, we're all dead. Uh, but if he doesn't punish sin, then God's not good. Totally. He's not holy. He's not just. He's not good. If he's good, he must punish evil. But if he punishes evil, we're all host. Because here's the scary thing for us biblically. We all fall on which side of this objective moral evil? We are evil. We are evil. And so what's, of God's wrath. No, right. no one is righteous, not one. Right. Yeah. And so the wages of sin is? Yes. yes. Right. None of us have met the standard. Okay. So God's in this difficult situation. As the holy God, he must punish evil. But here, all, his, all these people are all his creation. And we're on the evil side. Now, here's the wonderful thing, and we're getting close now to the heart of Christianity. God had a plan for his glory and for our good, a plan for his judgment to be aimed not at us who deserve it, but at his son. And as we begin to understand this, as we begin to understand what's about to happen, it starts to make more sense of the way Jesus is reacting the way that he is in the garden. So now, knowing all this, why do you think Jesus is reacting the way that he is? What's he about to face? He's about to face the complete judgment that God has for sin on himself, who is perfect and he's never been cross with the Father. He's in perfect, holy relationship with the Father. He's done nothing but serve and love and heal. And now he's about to go through something where he's experiencing all of God's judgment and wrath aimed not at us, but at him. Mm. 100%. And Ben, that's exactly what happens the very next day. In Matthew 27, 45 and 46, we see Jesus now walking through this judgment coming from God. There's more going on here than just the bad guys nailing them to a cross. There's a spiritual transaction taking place where God's wrath is being poured out on Jesus Christ. And we see it in these verses. So what, do, what does Matthew 27, 45 and 46 say? Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, so think about this. This is supernatural reality that really happened in human history. From noon to 3 p.m., the whole world goes dark. And then Jesus quotes Psalm 22, like we saw last week. And one of the things he's doing is saying, hey, this is about me. But as it relates to Jesus bearing the wrath of God, what's what's, what's behind those words that he cries out? My God, think, my God, why, why yeah. are you, why am I separated from you? Why, you know, um, for the first time he's separated from God. I mean, it has to be part of it, right? I think so. Go ahead, Weber. What do you think? 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think he's about to experience something he's never experienced before. Um, And, like, I I think it's fair to say that the father has to forsake him to fully absorb his wrath. You know, if it was like a partial payment, it wouldn't be the full payment. But when Jesus' last word says, it is done, it is finished, he took everything for us. Exactly. And that's why, like, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is experiencing the real, actual God forsakenness. Like, he is absorbing in one concentrated dose the equivalent of an eternity in hell. Mm. That's what's happening on the cross. Mm. All the wrath of God stored up for all the sins of the world are rushing out onto him and he is absorbing it in full dealing with it. That's what's happening at the cross. He's taking our place. Hmm. I mean, where my mind's going right now, boys is like, it would be noble to die for someone. It would be noble to die for a friend. It would be noble to die for your kid or for your spouse but what's going through my head is while we were yes sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the very ones who put him on the cross. Yes. If they would turn from their sins and trust him. Yes. And and this is essentially, listener, friend, what Christianity is all about. This is the heart of Christianity. And I think it's illustrated as well as anything I've ever heard by this old um uh, theologian at Trinity Seminary, getting toward the end of his life now, named Murray Harris. And he gave a devotional one time to the staff there at Trinity Seminary. This is a secondhand account, so I'm going to tell as best I can. But he said, you know, if, you, if somebody said, Murray, you've got to choose between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I said, oh, I don't want to choose, but I choose the New. And they said, well, then if you had to choose one book in the New Testament, I said, oh, I don't want to choose just one book. They're all so good. But if I had to choose just one book in the New Testament, I'd choose the book of Romans. Mm-hmm. And if they said, oh, Murray, you're going to have to choose just one chapter in that one book. He said, I don't want to choose just one book in the book of Romans. But if I had to choose just one chapter, I'm sorry, I would choose chapter three. And they said, well, what if you had to choose just one paragraph in that one chapter? I said, oh, it would not be my preference to choose. But if I had to choose one paragraph, I would choose Romans 3, 21 to 26. Come on, bud. And they said, well, Murray, if you had to choose just one verse in that one paragraph, Romans 3, 21 to 26, which verse are you choosing? He says, I don't want to, I don't want to pick just one verse, but if I got to pick just one verse, I'm going to have to pick verse 25. And they said, well, if you got to pick just one word in that one verse, which one are you picking? He says, I don't want to go down to just one word, but if I had to limit it, limit it to just one word, I would pick the word propitiation. And then he said, and friends, propitiation is what Christianity is all about. Mm. Let's go. And so fellas, big, huge word, right? But whenever you find a word in the Bible that you don't know, you got to look it up because the the meaning of the entire paragraph might hinge on that one word. So when y'all hear this word propitiation, what does that word mean and why is it so important? It means the wiping away of sin. Okay. And that's what it says in my footnotes in my Bible and that God has substituted himself for us and wiped away our sin. And without it, we literally stand condemned and we'll spend eternity in hell. Yes. Yes. It's, it's the, the wiping away of sin or the dealing with sin through a substitute, right? So 
here's what you got to understand. God is so holy. He cannot overlook sin. Mm -hmm. He's got to deal with it. Okay. But we're going to see, and we're going to really see this next week. So I'm not going to try to run too far ahead, but he's so loving. He wants to deal with sin for sinners like us. So what does he do? He puts forward his own son as the sacrifice and the substitute to bear all of his wrath so that you and I don't have to. Mm-hmm. That, that's what the word propitiation means. And that's what Christianity is all about. That Jesus Christ, this one that we've seen who has calmed storms and he's cast out demons and he's cleansed lepers and he has taught with utter wisdom. He's made all these glorious claims to be God in flesh. He steps forward and he becomes for us the sacrifice who bears all the wrath of God in our place. Mm-hmm. And after he bears it all, Webb already kind of gave a nod to this, but what does he say? He says, it is finished. It is finished. It's paid in full. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I have paid for every sin. I have absorbed all the wrath of God. I have drank, drank that cup of God's wrath all the way down to the bottom. And there is no more wrath for those who believe. Mm-hmm. Right. So for listeners, for me, I need to remember that so much. There's nothing left for me to pay. Come on, bud. Jesus Christ has taken all of my sin and shame upon himself. And I need not punish myself. I need to repent. And I need to believe that what on, Jesus buddy. Christ, he did in full for me. And now I can be right with God yes. and for eternity. It's just the greatest news. It's just... It's Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so, so let's let's just to make sure we're understanding this. That the first phrase of the verse you just quoted, Ben. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about what that means because we want to see this transaction that's happening on the cross. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Put that in your own words. Um, So Jesus lived a perfect life. He was without sin, but the way God treated him on the cross was as if he had all the sin in him and on him for the whole world. Mine, yours, everyone's sin. And so he who knew no sin, meaning he did not have any sin. He never committed a sin. He was perfect, became sin. So he literally took on every sin from me, from everyone uh, who would trust in the name of Jesus. That's exactly right. And then God punished him as if he had sinned our sin. Correct. So now here's what's crazy. All right. And this gets to the application point that Ben was making. That's so important. Cause if you're anything like me, when you screw up and you know it, you want to try to fix it. Yeah. You know, you want to repay it yourself. Exactly. But First uh, John one nine, a verse we all know and love, says this: yes. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to hone in on that little word, just. Why is God just to forgive us for our sins? What's What's just mean? Well, it just means like the uh, the correct outcome or the correct penalty for sin. Right. It's fair. It's the, isn't that the courtroom courtroom language that legally declared 
right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So this, that verse says that God can be just to forgive us who are sinners. How is he just to forgive us? Because he, he has all authority in his hands. Yes. And because our speeding ticket, if you will, has been paid for yeah. by Jesus Christ in the courtroom. So now we can legally go free and jo- God can free us. Yes. Okay. And so if God is just, is he going to demand two payments on the same debt? No. It's, no. it's either been paid for or it hasn't. Yes. Yeah. And Jesus Christ has paid for it on the cross. He has absorbed the wrath for it on the cross. He has taken our judgment on the cross. And so if we believe in him, there's nothing left for us to pay. We, we owe no more penalty. We have no more debt. The punishment is gone for those who are in Christ. And, and one of the best ways to illustrate it is, is like this. An old preacher named Henry Ironside tells this story of these pioneers who are making their way across one of the central states back in the day. Um, and they're going in their little covered wagons drawn by oxen and the progress was slow. And one day uh, they got news that there's this forest fire sweeping across the prairies. Okay. And so this fire's coming and if they're going to get back to water, it's like, you know, too long, the fire's going to catch them before they can get back to water. So they're sitting there and they're panicking. And then finally, one of the leaders among them steps up and says, I have an idea. And they sit there in a panic and they say, what what are we going to do? The fire's coming. How are we going to escape the fire? And the leader says, we're going to start a fire. And so what he does is he lights this prairie on fire, this big circular area, and he burns it out. And after he burns it out, he instructs the entire camp to go stand in that area. And sure enough, as the fire came, what do you think happened? It didn't come on the burned out area. It burned out everything except for where they were standing because it was already burned out. Yes, the fire had already come. And this is a great illustration for the gospel because Jesus Christ has taken the full wrath of God, all of it. For those of us who look to him and say, he was dying my death. He was Mm -hmm. taking my place. It was my sin that held him there. We're going to where the fire has already come. Come on, buddy. And one day when God's judgment comes, when, when we give an account to God, right? God's judgment is not going to meet us because we're, we're standing where his judgment has already come. Yeah. And, and so the, the encouragement to the listener is don't wait to see how your performance is going to line up against this holy and just God. It's not going to work well, but if you go, if you go to where God's judgment has already come to Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness and there is freedom. Um, and, And that's waiting for us in Jesus Christ. He really did take our place. That's right. Amen to that. My mind goes to Ephesians 2 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. And what I love about that is the verse, verse 10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so a lot of like maybe a non-believer interested or a new believer might think I've got to work. I've got to do these things for God. Well, I think what Paul's encouragement here is number one, like our eternal salvation is only secured by what you guys are saying, by what Jesus did on the cross. 
And from that love is when we go to work, when we go to work, meaning we don't work to earn more favor with God. We work out of that love that he first loved us. Um, so I just love that little nuance there in Ephesians two. Yeah, so good. Well, we, we, we don't work for our salvation. We work from it. That's right. Out of joy that what he's done, he's done for us. Come we on. can't help it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. It reminds me of the lyrics from the hymn in Christ alone for on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. I live. Come on. That's, that's the good news of the gospel for us. Mm-hmm. Hey, and William and Ben, I want to tell y'all a really quick, cool story into the listeners. My son on Sunday morning, uh, James, your boy just wasn't listening. You know, I'd asked him to do a couple of things, wasn't listening. And it was just a tough moment for us. And, um, he looked at me in the car about 20 minutes later and he said, I'm really sorry for, for what I did. Like, I, I wish I could start the day over. And I looked at him and I go, buddy, do you know, because you just confessed and you apologize, like you're fully forgiven. And he goes, I know, but like, I feel like I need to like, do some stuff to like make up for it. And I just smiled so big because I'm like, yes, like, I'm so glad you told me that, that you think you have to earn my forgiveness. And I just got to explain to him, buddy, I fully forgive you. And like, you could go do 10 things for me right now. And you wouldn't be in a better place than you are right in this moment. Mm. Like you confessed it, you meant it. And I forgive you. I fully forgive you. And so it was such a cool moment because you know, you teach your kids, you teach your kids, you teach your kids. And in that moment, he's believing that he needs to like earn maybe my love back or earn his forgiveness. And I'm like, no, bud. like, that's the beauty of the gospel is like, if you confess, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was fun. It was fun to go through that with him. I fall into that trap with James. He's so much. I mean, I think (laughs) every day in some way I'm falling into that trap and just have to be reminded or, by you know just by the lord or by a friend or by myself that we don't have to pay it's already been paid for confess with your mouth well even that even that romans 325 that our our boy murray harris loves says that god put forward christ as a propitiation to be received by faith Mm -hmm. so how do you get in on this sacrifice from jesus christ you just receive it by faith which is Ben's favorite way of saying it is you believe that what he did, he did for you. And yep. then here, here's the good news, friend. His sacrifice is counted to you. It's credited to you. And there is no penalty left for you to pay. Mm. That's the good news of the gospel. So the good news that we see today is he really did take our place. That's why he was dying. Our biggest problem, God's wrath, really has been solved if we believe in Christ. And we're going to see one more time next week that it gets even better. He's not just there to absorb God's wrath. He's there to extend God's love. So we're not just saved from something, but we're also saved to something, which is where, where we're going next. So any, any final encouragements that you guys might have for our listeners? I mean, can we record tomorrow? I'm, I'm excited for next week. I mean, if today wasn't even the top of the top for the good news, what in the world? Uh, so I love, I love that Willie. I love that Ben, um, such a gift to be called a child of God. Mm. Amen. 
Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on the social medias under the handle at Bible Caddy. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe to it or leave us a review. And we'll be back next week with our final episode and why did Jesus die? Until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us. Oh, 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 oh.